0: So today we're continuing in this series, and we're going to be looking at a clip from another movie in a second. But the, I'll tell you what movie it is. The movie that we're going to be looking at, the, the clip that we're going to be looking at, comes from the movie uh, entitled uh, Cinderella Man, right? And it's a great movie. It's a true story, right? And this movie is set in the Great Depression. It was. It's about a common hero kind of guy named James J. Braddock, who was came to be known as the Cinderella Man. And it was because he defied the odds and became one of the most surprising legends in all sports history. By the early 1930s, Braddock was impoverished. He was an impoverished ex-Prize fighter who was seemingly broken. This guy was broken down in many people's perspective as a a boxer. Uh, He was beaten up. And some even thought him to be, quote, unquote, out of luck. Um, as much of the rest of the American people who had hit rock bottom during these difficult times. And so his career seemed to be finished. Nobody thought that he could ever box again. He was unable to pay his bills. His family was struggling and was in danger. Um, And it got so bad that he went on what was known back then as public relief. But deep inside, Braddock never relinquished his determination. He never gave up. You see, this man was driven by love. He was driven by honor. He was driven by an incredible amount of grit, a a, a fighter mentality, a a can't-give-up attitude that drove him to believe the impossible, to dream again, to come to a title shot. And so Braddock, fueled by more than just competition, ended up stepping back into the ring. And not only did he fight, he began to win, and he kept winning. And suddenly this ordinary down-and-out working man became a mythic athlete. He became a hero and a champion for people whose hopes, whose dreams, whose desires the disenfranchised and so many others. He carried all these people on his shoulders and people began to believe again and Braddock skyrocketed through the ranks until he faced this under he came as an underdog to do the unthinkable. He took on a title shot against the heavy world heavyweight champ of the world a man who was known to be unstoppable, who was named Max Baer. And this guy, Max Baer, was renowned for killing two people in the ring. Despite the odds against him, Braddock not only fought him, Braddock won and became the world champion of the world. You know, it's interesting, like Braddock's story, here's the truth, we could be honest. Our lives are full of ups and downs, right? For some of us, we know what it is to feel like uh, we're cornered, right? We feel tested. Some of us have gotten to that point where we feel pushed beyond our limits, right? We feel like life is one big fight. And friends, I've got great news for you. You ready? It is. It is. Life is a fight. It is a fight. But you see, where we go wrong sometimes is we fight without a proper understanding of what it takes to win. And I'm telling you that today, if you would lean into the word of God, because I'm not here to give you an opinion. My opinion does not matter here. If you would lean into the word of God and you would glean from the word of God today, you would see that God created you not just to win, but God created you to be a victor in life. Come on and give God some praise if you believe that. The reason why I say that life is one big fight is because it's what the Bible calls this little thing that many people overlook. It's called faith. And so today I encourage you to lean in with me to God's word as we talk on the topic of faith is a fight. Got to tell three people faith is a fight. Listen, friend, faith is a fight. Let me prove it to you. Let me show you this from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 and 4 not only tells us about faith, but it tells us about life, and it tells us how we overcome this fight. It starts off by telling us that for though we live in the world, we do not what? Wage war. Friend, don't fool yourself. You are in the middle of a battle day in and day out. You are fighting for your home. You are fighting for your family. You are fighting for your future. You are fighting for your well-being. You are fighting for communities. You are fighting for your children. You are fighting when you go to work. You are fighting when you show up at home. You're fighting wherever you go. You're in the middle of a war is what the scripture says. Now, lest you get excited about that, because some of you get excited about being in a fight. (laughs) But this is what we should really get excited about. It tells us that though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, there is a way that is common and is normal, not necessarily normal, but is the norm for people. It's called striving and struggling. It's called survival mode. It's called doing it in my own strength, doing it according to my own understanding. But God wants us to do it differently. Verse 4 tells us that the weapons we fight with are not, uh, are, are not of the world, right? On the contrary. On the contrary, they have what? Divine power to demolish strongholds. Let's leave verse 4 up there. I want you to see that the scripture says that you have weapons. You have weapons. You are armed and dangerous, friend. You have what it takes to win. You have what it takes to overcome. The thing is, Are you even familiar with what your weaponry is? Do you even perceive and understand that every day you face a fight, but it's a fight that's fixed because God already made it so that you walk as a winner. You can win in life. Come on and give God some praise if you believe that. I've got great news for you. Our fight is not with people. Some of you need to hear what I'm saying here. Our fight is not with people. Our fight is not with circumstances. Our fight is not with flawed systems. It's not with faulty policies that plague our society. Our fight is not with issues. Our fight is not with money. Our fight is not with anything external. In fact, our fight, according to what the scriptures shows us, our fight is against strongholds. Strongholds in the unseen. And you know what a stronghold is? It's something that has a hold that's stronger than your current strength. It's seized upon you. And it doesn't seize upon you externally. Friend, your issue is not financial hardship. Your issue is not lack of opportunity. Your issue is not that you've come from a broken, dysfunctional upbringing. Your issue is not the current circumstances around you. Your issue is the beliefs that you have that have a stronghold upon you and limit you and rob you of what's possible for life. I can tell you that someone who's lived this, I understand what it is to be under a stronghold. I don't know your story, but I I know mine. And I I, I know it so well because sometimes it tries to creep back into my heart and my mind. You see, I grew up in a home, a single parent home, where there was a man, right? And I'm not knocking men. There was a man, but he had issues with alcoholism. And it was dysfunctional. There was no such thing as monotone conversation. Everything was yelling and screaming. Everything was physical violence or emotional violence. Right? Everything was, we we believed growing up, I believed growing up, that it was good enough for everybody else. Christmas came for other people. Birthdays came for other people. Provision came for other people, but for me, for us, I believed, it, it never came for us. We were never good enough. We never measured up to what was possible. Can you imagine growing up that way? Can you imagine how that would impact you? And for some of you, you can imagine it so vividly because it's still real in your heart. The beliefs. The erroneous beliefs. But then came a time where my mom... Came to know Christ. The reason why I came to believe in Jesus wasn't because of a message I heard. It was the message I saw in a broken woman who began to heal. And I'm not telling you that we arrived, man, because after coming to know Christ, we believed in Jesus, but we were stuck at believing in Jesus because we still had so much of that in our hearts, and we struggled. And for some of us, you know what I'm talking about. Because you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus, but you are riddled with fears and, 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 and hardships and you believe the very worst about yourself when God's word declares the very best about you. And according to scripture, what we, what we can come to understand is that the fact that we live in this world and, it, and the scripture tells us that we do not wage war as this world, what it tells us is that life is a one big fight. And the only way to win is by fighting by faith and not by sight. It's not by sight. These eyes are liars. These feelings are deceptive. And therefore, we must know how to fight by faith. Because anything else is a farce. It will lead us into error and destruction. So the Bible records a time when God invited a man. He invited a man to step out and discover the power of his faith. This man's name was Gideon. And this guy Gideon was called by God to engage in a battle against a mighty, massive army of people known as the Midianites. One of our members here uh, earlier, you know, was just sharing some fun facts with me. I love that kind of stuff from the Bible. But it's estimated that the, Midian, the Midianite army was about 135,000 strong, right? Israel only had 32,000, right? And so this guy, Gideon, God calls him to lead the people of Israel into battle. And you would think that because God chose Gideon to fight this battle, to lead the charge, that Gideon was a guy who was strong. You would think that Gideon was a guy who was seasoned in war. You would think that Gideon had these great leadership qualities that everyone saw and everyone could attest to, but the reality is that he didn't. He didn't. In fact, instead of being a man that was driven and ready to fight by faith, he was a man who was ready to flee because of his fear, and so it, it, we're not going to get into all the story, but I'm going to pick from, from parts of, of, of this encounter that he has with God. But what we find is in, Gide- in, in Judges 6 that Gideon, when God comes to, to, towards Gideon and introduces himself and calls him out, Gideon is hiding. The Bible specifically says that Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. You know what that tells us? He's not where he belongs. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. So he's hiding. And if you study this out, what you'll see is that the people of Israel were in hiding too. They were afraid. They were seized by their fear. They lived under the stranglehold of strongholds that riddled their hearts and minds. And God calls Gideon out. And watch how God introduces himself. Judges 6.12 says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's leave that up there for a moment. Watch how God introduces himself to Gideon by introducing Gideon to himself. He introduces Gideon to who he is. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is afraid. Gideon does not believe that he can move, not even a a, a hairpin. And God says to him, good morning, mighty warrior. Go ahead and look at somebody and tell them, hey, mighty warrior. Tell somebody else, hey, mighty warrior, for you online. Hey, mighty warrior, good morning. Listen, according to the scripture. According to the scripture, the scripture says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why are you judging yourself according to external factors when God is looking on the inside and he's saying, hey, mighty warrior, have you looked at yourself lately? Which leads to our first point. And you got to do more than just read this. I pray that you would internalize the truths that we're we're uh, seizing upon today because let these things take a stronghold in your heart and mind. The first thing that we see is that we cannot fight for victory if we don't know our true identity. You cannot fight for victory if you do not know your true identity. Your true identity is not victim. Listen. Listen. You may have gone through some things, right? You may have experienced what science calls trauma, right? But to be traumatized is a choice. To be a victim is a choice. Why? It's a choice because you choose to dwell on it. It's a choice because you choose to believe something that is unbecoming of your true nature, Friend, for you to believe you're a victim is to say that what God did is not good enough. For you and I to declare that we are these poor, impoverished, broken, hurting, stuck people that opportunity doesn't knock for us. For you and I to believe that we are can't-do people. To believe that we cannot excel, that we cannot be more than what our circumstances and our history and our families and what people tell us. For us to believe that is to slap God in his face. Let me tell you why. Because you have been made in the image of God Almighty. Last time I checked, God don't make junk. Gideon... And the people of Israel had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten that they were God's chosen people. They had forgotten that the Lord mightily delivered them from Egypt and that he had brought them through repeatedly again and again and again Friend, instead of believing the story you tell yourself in in the midst of your circumstances, why not begin to look at your story and your history with God and pull from his story what your story tells you, that you are the head, you are not the tail, you were made more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and you are destined to win. You are destined to excel. You are destined to rise. You know, sometimes we do just like Gideon and the people of Israel. We put more faith in the external fight that we perceive than we do the fight that we have within us. You can overcome, friend. You can overcome. With God, all things are possible for you. All things are possible for you. See, you are not a victim. You are a victor. You are a victor. But instead, some of us, we look at problems and convince ourselves that we're powerless. Some of us, we magnify challenges and tell ourselves that we are small as grasshoppers. Some of us, we feel fear, and because we feel fear, we tell ourselves that we are failures. And the first fight that we begin to see we must face is the attack that we inflict upon ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Don't shout yourself out, but be honest with yourself. And don't worry about if God hears it because he already knows it. And he still calls you mighty warrior. But be honest. In your heart of hearts, what do you tell yourself about yourself? What do you say to yourself about your ability? About your potential? About your anointing? About the calling that rests upon your life. What do you tell yourself when you see the promises of God? Do you believe them to be yours or do you believe them to be a distant possibility? That's not for you. It's for someone else. Because friends, God is not a man that he should lie. And if his word declares that you are the head and not the tail, why not start standing up and stepping out? I love what 2 Corinthians 2 verses 14 and 15 reveals. Let, just track with me for a moment while we go down this little rabbit hole. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in what? In triumph. How many times? Always. Always leads us in triumph. Now let's just pause right there. Let me break this down for you so you can start begin to track and see where God is leading us with the scripture. In the original language, when it talks about triumph here, it's referring to a triumphal procession. It was a war tactic that conquering emperors employed to affirm victory in their people. And so here's what would happen. A empo- an emperor would show up with his armies and they would come into a, 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 fo- a foe, a, a, another nation. And they would, obliter- they would obliterate them. They would completely annihilate them. But then what the king would do is he would spare the king. But watch what he would do to him. He would cut his thumbs off. And they would beat him and they would strip him naked and they would bring him in chains. And as this king, this conquering emperor, approached his nation and his people, there would be this massive parade and people lined on all sides. The entire nation would come out. And what the king would do is he would ride in a chariot and he would ride high for all to see that he had conquered on their behalf. And as the armies followed him, triumphing, behind them was the opposing king, whose thumbs were cut off for everyone to see so that they would all know that this king would never wield a sword against them again, brought in chains shamed before all. Why, friends? Because you see, as the king paraded his kingdom's dreaded foe in chains with his thumbs cut off, defeated, embarrassed, shamed, he did it for the display, to display to the people and help them shift from a victim mentality to a victor mentality. And let me tell you something, friend. Your enemy is called Satan, and there's one weapon that he deploys every single time. Jesus said he is the father of lies. That is his weapon. He does not make you do something. He does not make people do anything. You know where we go wrong? We give too much credit to the devil. You know how the devil works? He lies and we take the lie, and we say it's true. And then we act on it, and he sits back, and he goes, <laughs> just, just, just do it to yourself. But when you know that your enemy is defeated, when you understand that he has no power over you, lest the only, the only power he has over you is the one that you give him, And you begin to detest those lies and cast away those lies and hold on to the truth. Friends, then you begin to always walk in triumph because that's the only way that God leads you. He leads you into victory. He does not leave you as a victim. And so the scripture says, and through us. That's talking about you. Tell somebody he's talking about you. Tell somebody else he's talking about me. That's right. He's talking about you. It says, through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. In other words, wherever you go, you are a walking billboard that says victory. Victory. You are a walking billboard that declares you can and you will and so you must. Verse 15 says, for we are to God. Now watch what God senses amongst his people. We're a fragrance of Christ. So God's not looking at you according to your losses. He's looking at you and he's relating to you according to your victory because you're a victor seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. You are made in his image. You are a new creation. The oldest passed away. So if God calls you a victor, let go of victimhood. Stop selling yourself on, on excuses as to why you can't and why, and, and why you won't. Start trusting what he declares over you. And so it says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So according to this verse, you're a walking testament of victory. Why not begin to believe that? See, friend, you may have suffered loss, but you're no loser. You may have made mistakes, but you are no mistake. You may have failed that business. You may have failed as a parent. You may have failed in your walk of faith, but you are no failure because though you've failed, you still walk by faith and not by sight, and you are a victor. There's nothing you can't overcome. The second point I want to leave you with here today is that you are stronger than you know. You're stronger than you know. You really are. Let me show you that. Though God had reminded Gideon of his identity, if you study this out in Judges 6, you'll see that Gideon struggled to believe because he judged his ability by the measure of his current circumstances. What does that mean? In other words, he looked at his circumstances and he probably said like some of us do, well, if I'm struggling and I'm broke and I'm hurting and everything's bad, then it must be the will of God. It is not the will of God. It is not the will of God because God wants you to prosper in all things. But it's as your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions prosper. See, something's got to change right here, friend. And so Gideon thought he was weak because he was facing hardships. Gideon thought he couldn't do anything because everything around him told him it's too hard. And the fact is, friend, that if you're facing hardships, it does not mean that you're weak. In fact, it means you're strong. Because according to the scripture, God would not allow you to endure more than you can handle. He didn't do it, but he's helping you in it. See, you're built for hard, friend. You're built for hard. You're built for hard because it's not with your strength. It's with his strength that you can overcome. And so Judges 6, 14, and 15 says that God comes to Gideon. He turns to him after Gideon told him, no, not me. No, uh uh-uh, mighty warrior. Who, me? Right? And the scripture says that the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that who has? That you have. That you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Now watch this. God already called him a mighty warrior. He's still doubting, and God says to him, just go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Am I not the one who's with you? Am I not the one who's anointed you and called you? Am I not the one who started a good work in you and will complete it? Am I not the one who's provided for you every step of the way? Am I not the one who has seen you through time and time again? Am I not the one who has been faithful even when you've been unfaithful? Verse 15 says that Gideon replied, oh, pardon me, Lord. This guy got real religious. Pardon me, old dear father. Right? Right? Pardon me, Almighty God. He says, Pardon me, Lord. But how can I save Israel? Watch what he says. My clan, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I'm the least likely to succeed. I'm the least likely candidate. I'm the least likely one to, to, to have any measure of strength or ability. See, Gideon believed himself to be weak because he saw himself small due to his upbringing and his family line. But you see, God did not ask him to go fight this battle on the strength of his opinion of himself or his prior experience. God did not invite him to enter into this battle based upon his his family history. No, in fact, God did something different. God asked him to go in the strength you have. And you might say, well, what strength? Because according to what we see in the scripture, he had no physical strength. He had no mental strength. All he had, though, was a promise. And the promise was that God said, I'm sending you, and I'm not calling you to do it in your strength. I'm calling you to do it with my... You know what this teaches us, friends? That at our weakest we're actually at our strongest. Now, I'm just going to be very transparent because I'm that kind of person. Don't let the pastor title fool you, right? But, uh, you know, we just got through this Love Our City initiative that we did, right? We did a bunch of service projects all throughout the city of Newburgh, serving many people, you know, helping many people, blessing many people, and that, to be honest, was a lot of money, right? And then our, our fest yesterday, our Love Our City Fest, that was a lot of money, right? I'm just going to be very transparent with you. It was 18 grand for the whole week, including Saturday. 18 grand, and I know what the Lord placed on my heart, and I, and I and I know what the Lord was showing us. But in the back of my mind, I was going, that's a lot of money. We just we just put a big chunk of money down to go into contract, and we're going to close in a couple of weeks, which means we're going to have to come up with the other half, and we have it. And I'm like, Lord, that's a, that's a lot of money. And, Lord, there's staff, and there's payroll, and there's all these expenses, and there's utilities. Hey, does it feel comfortable in here? Yeah. Hey, that ain't cheap. <laughs> I'm telling you, it ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. It, it's expensive. And so I'm here going, God, are you sure about this one? Because it's a lot of money, and I don't want to shell that out. I don't think it's wise, but the Lord kept taking me back to a scripture, the only scripture that I remember from when we were in the Marines as a kid, I'm talking about the Pentecostal church, right, legalistic, I mean, man, we were, we were beat up, we were going to hell for everything, everything, you were going to hell for going to the movies, we were going to hell for not going to church, right, everything was, we were going to hell, it was the Marines, I'm telling you. We were the few, the proud. We were the Marines, man. But, I, but you got to forgive me, man. I'm, I'm just, I don't even know where I was going with that. Right? Um, anyways. Uh, oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Somebody was listening, right? The one scripture that I memorized growing up was, mira que te mando que te fuerces y seas valiente, no temas ni desmayes, porque Jehová tu Dios estará contigo en donde quiera que tú vayas. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. I, that, that scripture stuck in my heart, and so the Lord just kept taking me back to that. But you got to understand what God was saying to Joshua in Joshua 1.9. He's saying to him, haven't I commanded you? Two times before that, he told him, be strong and courageous, which means Joshua wasn't getting it. He wasn't getting it. And what the Lord kept telling me was, just continue to share the vision. Continue to plan and prepare. Continue to take steps. So for months, we met with leadership here at the church, and we devised the plan, and we dreamt it, and we looked at details, and we began to envision how it would run. And we did all that, and in the back of my head, I'm going, God, this is going to be expensive. But all of a sudden, I just kept doing what God told me. Just continue to press forward, continue to plan, continue to prepare, resolve it in your heart, we're doing this. And you know what happened? Let me show you what happened. This might not make sense, but I'll tell you in a moment. Look at the back of this T-shirt. Let me tell you what happened. Some of you see it, you're going, okay, what's the big deal? There's a bunch of different logos there. Let me tell you what happened. It started with a healthcare organization that reached out and said, man, love what you guys are doing in the community. How can we help? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, tell them about Love Our City. So I just shared with them what we we had coming up, and they said, well, you're going to pay how much for bounce houses? We'll pay for that. And how many thousands of dollars are you going to spend just for T-shirts for volunteers? We'll pay for that. And how much is the stage going to cost you? We'll help you pay for that. And how much is, we'll help you pay for that. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, we had a three-on-three tournament at, at, at at our Love Our City Fest yesterday. And I don't know if you noticed, but they started repainting. It's not done yet, but they started repainting, redoing. The entire basketball courts really beautifying them. Guess who paid for that? It was on our heart, and they paid for it. Right? Listen, when you show up and do what God tells you to do, you no longer operate in your strength, you operate in His, and where you may have weakness, God's strength is in fresh supply. 2 Corinthians 12.10 puts it this way. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Because for when I am weak, then I am strong. Friend, you are stronger than you know. Give God some praise for his fresh supply of strength in your life. The next point I want to share with you is that you can't have victory if you're still in idolatry. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. And so Gideon musters up the faith to believe what God has told him to do. And he steps out, right? And he goes after the Midianites. He has a plan, right? But before he does, God tells him to do something that he wasn't expecting. God tells him, Cut down your father's Asherah pole. And Asherah pole was basically a wooden monument that was supposed to depict a God. They would bow before them. It was a false God. And God tells them, cut down that pole, right? Cut down that false God and use it as wood on an altar to present a sacrifice to me. Now, the Israelites were disheartened by their oppression from the Midianites, so much so that they turn to false gods in place of their one, our one and true living God. Now, why would God tell him to cut this pole down? Because, you see, before you can proceed in faith, you have to remove anything that will kill it. You have to remove anything that will lead you in compromise. Let me ask you a question, friend. Is there anything in your life that replaces God. Is there anything in your life that you depend more upon than you do God? It can be someone, it can be something, it can be some place. But the point is this, friends: you can't proceed to fight and win by faith if you're losing in life by placing idols before God. It doesn't work. You can't replace God and and expect him to take a place in your life. He won't do it. See, you can't win by faith if you're still placing faith in someone or something other than the Lord. And you might say, well, I don't worship idols. I don't worship statues. I don't have any idols. But you see, idolatry is not really about people or places or things. Idolatry is an issue of the heart. Let me show you that from Scripture. Colossians 3.5 puts it this way. Put to what? To death. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. See, it's in our nature to worship. But for some of us, we misdirect our worship. We misplace it. And so it says, and, and, and it tells us what these things are according to our nature. It says sexual morality. It says impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Watch this. Which is idolatry which is idolatry. So it's a matter of the heart. And I have a question for us to consider today. What's in your heart? What's in your heart that gets in the way of the help that God is providing you to fight and win in life? What's getting in the way? The last point I want to leave you with here is to hold tightly to the promise of victory Hold loosely how you think God will do it. Let me say that again. you got to really chew on this. Hold tightly to the promise of victory. You are destined to win. That is God's promise. You truly are a victor because the fight is fixed. And he did the fixing. You can overcome in life. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that you are not just a a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. So you and I have the promise of victory, and we can hold tightly to it. But here's where we go wrong. We dictate to God how it's going to happen. And therefore, we must hold loosely how we think God will do it. Eventually, Gideon faces the Midianite armies. But it wasn't with millions. It wasn't even with hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands or even thousands. It wasn't even with 8,000. It was with 300 men that God handpicked. God handpicked. You know what the odds were for Gideon and and, and the Israelites? 300 against 135,000. That was 450 enemies for every one Israelite. In other words, the odds were stacked against them. There was no rational way that they could win. But watch this. It gets better. When they finally go out to battle, they don't go out with swords. They don't go out with bows. They don't go out with spears. They don't even have shields. God tells them, go out with trumpets and empty jars. And you got to think what this looks like to them. How how are we going to win this fight? What what are we supposed to do with these bottles? Are we supposed to drink our way into victory? Right? Are we supposed to sing songs into victory? Right? How is this supposed to work? And what they didn't understand is that God had a greater plan. I'll get to that plan in a second, but Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways... Neither are your ways my ways, declares who? The Lord. This is God speaking. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's not asking you to do anything within your reach. He's asking you to do something that's only within his reach and his power. And so Gideon and this army, they step out, and as they step out, they blow the trumpets, and they take these jars, and they smash them on the ground. And as they smashed them on the ground, the enemy, 120,000 Midianites died that day of an army of 135,000. But you know how they died? They fell on their own swords by their own hands. There was so much confusion among them that they believed that they were their own enemy and they began to kill each other. Friend, when you step out. And you do it God's way. And you trust God's leading. And you trust the spirit of God that has anointed you, that has appointed you, that has called you out. My friend, no devil, no demon, no destructive force can come against you and destroy you. Because God is for you. And so who can be against you? Come on and give God some praise this day. Let's stand. It wasn't how... Gideon expected this victory to come about. But God's not asking you to understand how the victory will come. He's asking you to trust and believe that the victory is already yours. Is already yours. Let me tell you something God is not a defeated foe, God is not weak. God is not unable. No, in fact, we serve the God that can do all things. That has done all things. That calls dead things to life. That brings life to places that are desolate. That restores what the locust has eaten. That gives us beauty, a crown of beauty, where there are only ashes. That's the God that you and I believe in. That's the God that we trust. And so, friends... If that's how God works, stop trying to fit God into your box and trust what he says. I dare you, I triple dog dare you. No, no, I infinity dog dare you to believe this. You are the head. You are not the tail. You are above only. You are never beneath. You are anointed. You are appointed. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation called for the good purposes of God. You have been destined for good purposes. You are loved by God and nothing can separate you from his love. No weapon formed against you can prosper and you have the authority and the power to condemn every every tongue that comes against you. Would you stand and believe in the testimony and the presence and the power of God this day?